0: Our scripture passage this morning is John chapter 16, verses 25 through 33. John chapter 16, verses 25 through 33 can be found in your pew Bible on page 1,679. 1,679. Here now the reading of God's holy and inspired and infallible word. Jesus speaking said, Though I have been speaking figuratively... The time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. And that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. You believe at last, Jesus answered, but a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered. Each to his own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that by your spirit you would enlighten the word to us. That we may apply it to our lives. That we may know the love of Jesus Christ for us, his people. That we may know your love for us in sending Jesus Christ, your son. That we may know your love for us in giving us the Holy Spirit a down payment, a mark that will preserve us, be with us, that we may have fellowship with you in part until the end of the age. It's In Christ's name we pray, amen. I've told you that this is the farewell discourse of the Gospel of John. This is Jesus' last words to his disciples prior to going to the cross. It's like... A bedside scene in someone's last moments. You hang on every word. You hang on what they're saying to you. And in this, Jesus is speaking to them because these are his friends. And he wants to assure them. He wants to give them an understanding that this going away is not going to be a ceasing of our relationship. Of our closeness. You see, in every relationship, there's a need to feel and sense that connection. There's a need to feel close to that person, whether it be a husband, a wife, whether it be great friends, that you're united, that you belong together, that you have this unique relationship. Carol King, a real famous a songwriter of our day and age, back in the day, so to speak. A couple of the most famous songs she wrote were uh, You Have a Friend in Me, which was repopularized by the Toy Story series. But also she wrote the song Aretha Franklin made famous, Natural Woman. But that's not the songs I'm talking about this morning. Carol King also wrote a song called You Will Find Me There. Uh, And in that song, she speaks wonderfully about this concept of friendship. She says, you don't have to wear the weight of the world on your shoulders. Don't you know I'll be there for you always, always. And you can tell me anything and you know I'll understand. And When you're down and out and your soul is bare, you just turn around, you will find me there. When it's all gone wrong, it's falling down on you. Lean on me, I'll be strong. I will keep you safe, keep you warm. When you're down and out, I will always care You just turn around, you will find me there. I'll take your hand, I'll dry your tears, I'll comfort you when your hope has disappeared, when you're down and out, I will always care. You just turn around, you will find me right there. Um, It's a beautiful description of the closeness of friendship. A friendship that all of us relate to, the desire to have in this life, but the truth of the matter is, um, Carol King's life, could not live up to that ideal. None of our lives could live up to that ideal. Uh, A quick Google search, you'll find that she's been married four times. Um, She's had difficulty in past relationships, has kids with different uh, one of these husbands. Um, Her third husband died of a cocaine overdose days after they separated. Her life was a wreck. It was hard. It was difficult. And she said... You turn around, and you'll find me right there, but she just couldn't live up to it. What we need to know as God's people, as Christ's people, is can Jesus live up to that ideal? Can we read the words of that song, You Will Find Me Right There, that Carol King wrote, and say, Yeah, other people, they don't live up to that. But my Savior does. And that's, I believe, what Christ is communicating here to his disciples. Christ has come that we may know there is that closeness, that intimacy with our relationship. And it's not going to be done away with with this parting. It's not going to be done away with. It's actually going to be made even deeper. It's going to be made even greater. And Christ has come that we may hear God's word. Believe in God's Son and to know God's peace. And that brings this closeness of that relationship. Um, so I want to look first at that, uh, that first statement Christ has come that we may hear God's word. Verses 25 through 28 say, I've spoken to you figuratively. The word there is parable, actually. But Christ says, A time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language. But will tell you plainly about my Father. And that day you'll ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father. Entered into the world. And now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. There's two things being said here. There's a a statement of Christ. There's a clarity of communication that is going to be happening in the future. Right? Uh, It's going to be more clear to the disciples, not in this moment, but in the future. Um, And then there's also a foretaste of that greater communion that is to come, right? So in that first section, Jesus is telling them that the disciples are going to hear God's word with absolute clarity. Now, if you look other places in the gospels, Jesus said, I speak to the other people in parables, but I tell you my disciples plainly. But here Jesus says, I'm not going to speak to you in parables any longer. How do we make sense of that? Well, what Jesus is talking about here is that there are things that they cannot yet grasp and understand. But they will understand in a greater way when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them. And God indwells them so that they can be enlightened to understand the greatness and the majesty and the glory and the mystery of Jesus Christ. The, the disciples are going to hear God's word with absolute clarity. But there's also going to be a new kind of prayer. In verse 26, Jesus says, And that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying I will ask the Father on your behalf. A new kind of prayer that's going to bring a clarity of communication. A prayer that is of greater access than the prayers which have been provided before. If you read the book of Hebrews, it tells us that there is a confidence by which we should enter into the throne room of God's grace. Because the veil has been torn by Jesus Christ's body. If you remember at the crucifixion, the temple veil tore from top to bottom. So that the place of the Holy of Holies was now accessible, was now open to the public, you could say. And the book of Hebrews takes that a step further and says that it really wasn't about the physical veil in the temple, the physical temple, that that was really happening. What that was doing was picturing the reality that has been created by the breaking of Christ's body, by the veil of his torn side. He has opened up not The holy of holies on earth. But the holy of holies in heaven. Of which the one on earth was only a model. That we now can go straight to the Father. And ask in Jesus' name. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And I think often of those great words in the Heidelberg Catechism. Concerning that word, amen, right? At the end, it says that we are more sure that God hears our prayers because of Jesus Christ than we really want what we're asking for. And that's something that Christ is saying is purchased only by my death. So here his disciples are crippled in fear and worry and wondering What's going to happen? And Christ is saying, I know you're scared. I know you're worried about losing our connection, our communion. But what you don't understand is, I must go and die. So that you can have an even greater communion and connection with me. And he goes on to speak of this foretaste of of this communion with these words. No, the Father himself loves you. The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. The Father loves believers in Jesus because of their love for Jesus and their belief that he came from God. It's a very interesting way of thinking, but the truth of the matter is, That if we really want to express our love to the Father, the best way to do it is by loving Jesus. By proclaiming Him. By bringing that reality closed and home in Him and saying, Christ is the Son of God. Christ is my Savior. Christ is my Redeemer. The Father loves us. Because we love the son because we believe in the son this is a statement of the unity of the three persons of the trinity of course we love the father when we love the son because the father is God the son is God holy spirit is God yet there are not three gods one God When the Son comes and he speaks, he does not speak on his own behalf some sort of creative message that he came up with that the Father himself did not come up with. The Son speaks the very word of God because he is the word of God because he is God. The Holy Spirit comes to us and indwells us and unites us with the Father and the Son. And reveals to us who the Father is. Who the Son is. We're going to have a foretaste of this communion. Because Christ says, I came from the Father and entered the world. This is a theme in the Gospel of John. The idea of the one who came from heaven down to earth is the one who will return to heaven right Christ came down from the Father, entered the world. But now he says, I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Humiliation and exaltation. Christ made himself low so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess in heaven and on earth. Christ emptied himself so that he would be the King of kings and Lord of lords. Not only that, but we are seen in this picture the truth of the order of things. Christ must go down further into the world to his very death, into the world to his very grave where he's placed inside the very earth as a seed so that we may experience the power of the Holy Spirit which is poured out on us at Pentecost because Christ was resurrected and ascended to sit at the right hand of the Heavenly Father that he may... Pour out the Spirit upon us. The disciples need to hear this. They need to know that he came into the world all along in order to leave it in the predicted manner. They need to know that what is about to happen is not a shock. It's not a surprise that he will be arrested. It's not a surprise that he will be tried. It's not a surprise that he will be found guilty, although not guilty. It's not a surprise that he will carry his own death instrument up the hill to Golgotha. It is not a surprise that he will die his last gasping breath upon the cross. It's not a surprise that his body will be taken down, placed in cloths, and put into a tomb. Because it's not a surprise that on the third day he would rise again from the dead. His disciples need to hear this. That this is what is going to happen, so that you you can have a communion, connection, relationship, closeness that you are longing for. So Christ came that we may hear God's word, but He also came that we would believe God's Son. Uh, if you remember at the beginning of this section of chapter 16, we're told that some of the disciples were talking to each other and saying, what does he mean when he says, in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me, and what does he mean when he says, because I'm going to the Father? And they kept asking each other these questions, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying, and they wouldn't ask Jesus questions, they wouldn't ask him directly, because you know who really wants to ask questions to Jesus and sound like, The not intelligent one, right? That's not really understanding what's going on here. So, but Jesus understood what they were going after, and so this has all been an answer to the question they didn't ask. And finally, in verse 29, the disciples say, Now you're speaking clearly and without parables. Now we can see that you know all things, you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Now as naive or shallow as we may perceive the disciples' statement here. It is a confession of Christ. Of believing in the Son of God they desire to understand what he was saying to them they followed him they've left all things for him they love him they see Christ as the one who knows all things as the one who has all knowledge they see Christ As the one who's come from God, they believe in God's Son. This is a faith that should be emulated, imitated. It's a simple faith. But isn't that not all God asks of us? A simple trust? A desire to, to believe that Christ is the Son of God, that He is the one who has come from God to be our Redeemer and our Savior. But there's more to this, isn't there? In verse 31, uh, Christ actually challenges. The disciples. Now in your pew Bibles, it says you believe at last with an exclamation point. Um, but if you look at the footnote, the translation could also be, do you now believe? With a question. Now, to be honest with you, that gives you just a little glimpse at the complexity of the Greek language and how and why I never really fully Mastered it in seminary. Just don't tell my professors. Maybe they'll let me graduate, right? Um, How can something be an exclamation of praise? You finally believe. Or a question. Do you now believe? Yeah, exactly. But I think it is better to understand this as a challenge. Based on the context of this verse. Um, what follows? This is uh, a strike at the disciples to be on guard against themselves, on guard about what is to come in the near future. So we could say that Christ is here. Do you now believe? Do you now believe? Here at the end of my ministry. Do you now believe after you've witnessed the raising of Lazarus, the healing of the blind and the lame, after you've witnessed the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, of the 4,000, after you've witnessed me raise the widow's son, after you've witnessed me forgive and heal paralytics, after you've witnessed me regenerate some man's shriveled arm, after you've witnessed the The exorcism of demon after demon after demon. After you've witnessed the proclamation of all my teaching, which comes with authority, do you now believe? (laughs) And I've said this before, we shouldn't be too hard on the disciples, but this is Christ challenging them. Yes, you confess me. But do you believe me? Because you're gonna need to believe me. Believe me, you're gonna need to believe me. Because things are about to get rough. Things are about to get very dark. Things are about to seem like everything is lost. And I wanna know do you really believe? Do you believe me now? It's a challenge that we see is needed because all we have to think of are those disciples on the road to Emmaus following Christ's resurrection. Which, by the way, I think the road to Emmaus where Christ comes up next to them and starts walking alongside them and they don't recognize it's him is like the best uh, practical joke that Christ plays following his resurrection. There's a sense of humor to it. There is. Um, But what do they say to Jesus, whom they don't know is Jesus? They say, we had hoped. We had hoped. He would be the one to restore Israel. We had hoped. I thought you believed. Didn't you understand me when I said, I am the one who came from the Father down to the world And I must leave the world to go back to the Father. Didn't you understand when I said the Son of Man must go and be arrested and be killed. And on the third day rise. Do you really believe now? It's a challenge to the disciples and it's a challenge to us. Do we really believe Do we really believe? Or is our belief in God's son something that has some sort of practical benefit? It's a lingering uh, aspect of our family tradition. Do we believe in God's son because... Um, We're hoping that that will somehow make our lives blessed and easier. The question we need to ask ourselves is do we believe in God's Son when things get bad, when things get dark, when things look like all hope is lost? Do we believe? Because that's the question Christ is asking his disciples. Do you believe? Do you believe when there's no good reason to believe? When believing means risking your life, your reputation? Do you believe now? When Christ came that we would hear God's word, Christ came that we would believe God's son, but he also came... That we would know God's peace. Here's a challenge, right? But Christ wants to give them what they stand in need of when they face this challenge. And that's exactly what he does in his grace. He answered them, a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered each to his own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone. For my Father is with me. So... Christ is saying, your peace is going to be shattered. You're saying that you believe me now, but I know that when the shepherd is struck, the sheep will scatter. I know that when they come and arrest me, you all are going to leave me, each to your own place. I know that when you're called out, Peter, as a Galilean, because I can hear your accent, that you're going to deny it. You're going to curse and deny it three times. I know that the only disciple whom I loved, of all my disciples who will be there present at my death, is John. Your peace is going to be shattered. And this is four truths about this shattered peace that these disciples are going to experience. The hour of the Christ had come. All the way up until this point, Christ has been saying, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. The hour of his trial. The hour of darkness. But that hour had come. And the second thing is the Messiah's sheep would be scattered. Christ said, time is coming, has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home." The third thing that we know is that Christ is going to be deserted. You will leave me all alone. You will leave me all alone. All by myself. But we're told that there is one thing that the Lord is going to cling to you in this time of darkness. Among other things. that Though outwardly it may seem that Christ is alone he would not be alone because his Father is with him. His Father is with him as he walks the path of obedience, the path of the cross, the path of suffering and death for our sakes, for our sins. You see, people can't be relied upon. People can't trustly. Truthfully, sing those words of that Carol King song, can't we? When it's all gone wrong, it's all falling down, lean on me, I'll be strong, I'll keep you safe, I'll keep you warm. When you're down and out, I will always care, you just turn around, you will find me there. And Christ is saying, I'm going to have a moment where I want you there, I'm going to turn around and you won't be. And he's saying, that's Okay. He's saying, I'll be alone so that you never have to be. I'll be alone so that you will never have to be. I'll walk this path as your peace is shattered. So that you can have a peace that's beyond all understanding. They are going to experience tribulation, the disciples. We are too. We're going to experience hardship in this life and difficulty and suffering. This is why Christ says to them, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Here, Christ says to his disciples, You're going to experience trouble in this world, you're going to experience hardship, you're going to experience difficulty. I am showing you that is the truth. But I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Now, don't you get it? That this world is a world of tribulations and trials and difficulties. But this world is not the world that is to last forever, age without end. This world is not something that we can put our hope and our trust and our faith and our desires and our longings in. The world that is to come, which we are united to in Christ, is the world that we have peace in. That in Christ we may have peace In Christ, we may have joy. In Christ, we may have true and lasting fellowship and communion and friendship and closeness and intimacy. That the only way to overcome this world is by placing our bets that the world to come is much greater and better because the world to come is where Christ is. It's where our dear Savior is. And that's why Christ ends. These, this passage. With a victory call. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome. The world. If you understand The beautiful irony of Christ's words here. He is telling the disciples, you're going to have troubles in this world, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Christ, they're about to come and put you in cuffs in the garden. They're about to beat you. They're about to place a crown of thorns upon your head. They're about to... Whip you so badly that there's nothing left on your back. They're about to make you crawl and carry your own cross. They're about to pierce your hands and feet with nails. They're about to pierce your side. And you're going to die a criminal's death as they mock you and spit at you. And you're saying you have overcome the world? And the answer is yes. That is how you overcome the world. Dear brothers and sisters, you need to understand this. Because in our day and age, the concept of overcoming the world is who has the most money, who has the most power, who is the least racist or feminist or whatever sort of identity politics you want to get into. That's how you overcome the world. That's how you get the largest voter base. That's how you get all the power. And Christ is saying the way you overcome the world is you die. And you don't die for yourself. You die for others. You die to yourself. For others. I have overcome the world. In 1 John chapter 5. The apostle John speaks of this. And he says. Our faith. Our faith is how we overcome the world. By believing that the greatest victory ever won, the greatest victory to ever happen on soil on this earth, is not D Day or V Day. It's not Vietnam or Civil War or Revolutionary War. The greatest victory to ever happen on soil on this earth is the victory that comes through the cross. The defeat of the devil, principalities, and powers who were openly mocked by Christ in his death. The salvation. That comes in the blood of Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of sins that pours out from his side. That is the victory. Our faith is the victory. So yes, we want friendship. We want relationship. We want closeness. We want intimacy. We want what Carol King sings of in her song, when, you turn, when you're down and out, I will always care. When you just turn around, you will find me there. And what Christ is saying to his disciples and what he's saying to us is that he has purchased that for us. That we can know that to be true of Jesus. That when the world is on our shoulders, when we're bearing it all, when we're suffering, when we're down and we're out, he will always care we just need to turn around and we will find him there amen will you pray with me heavenly father we thank you for these words we pray that because of Christ's coming and his work of redemption that we may hear your word that we may believe in your son and that we may know your peace it's in Christ's name we pray Amen.